Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would use me to speak your word today and that I would not get in the way of what you want to do here. We pray that you would make the hearts of everyone tender. Lord, we pray that you, that you would set lives on fire for Jesus through the power of your word and the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Lee was an avowed atheist. It was the only thing that made sense to him. But because as a graduate of Yale Law School and an investigative journalist for, and legal editor for the uh, Chicago Tribune, he was trained to follow evidence, solid evidence. And so for him, that left faith out of the equation. He thought the idea of an all-loving and all-powerful creator of the universe was, in his words, stupid. So when one day his wife, who had previously been an agnostic, in other words, someone who would say, I don't know whether there's a God or not, when she told him that after a period of spiritual investigation, she had decided to become a follower of Jesus, he thought this was about the worst possible news that he could get. She was about to become some kind of religious nut, a sexually repressed prude who would spend all of her time on skid row trying to help the down and out. He thought this meant the end of their marriage. Instead, over the next few months, he saw positive changes in her life and character, her values, how she related to him and their children. It was attractive and winsome and made him want to at least check things out. So he went to church with her, still very skeptical, mainly trying to get her out of this cult she had gotten herself into. At least that was his assumption at the time. But for the first time, he heard the message of Jesus articulated in a way that at least made sense. He heard the presentation of God's forgiveness as a free gift, that Jesus died to give us an opportunity to spend eternity with him. Lee left that day still an atheist, but saying, if this is true... If this is true, it has huge implications for my life. So he used his investigative skills honed through his legal training and his experience in journalism to conduct an investigation of Christ and Christianity. He wanted to see if Christianity was credible or any other faith system in the world for that matter. So Lee investigated. For a year and nine months, he investigated, until on November 8th, 1981, he made the decision, after very careful consideration, to give his life to Christ. He realized that in light of this torrent of evidence confirming the identity of Jesus and the truth of Christianity, he'd have to exercise more faith to stay an atheist than to become a follower of Jesus. So he became a follower of Jesus. You may know uh, Lee through his work as not only a Christian minister, but uh, also a, a Christian author, uh, author of such apologetic books as The Case for Christ, The Case for a Creator, The Case for Faith. Lee Strobel, the once avowed atheist, is now a devoted follower of Jesus Christ and is committed to spreading faith in him. George's story is a lot different from Lee's. George grew up by his own account, a troubled young man. Some say he was a hateful bully, but eventually he found a direction for his life in boxing. It was, it was something he was good at. Um, 
In fact, he was great at it. He eventually won the heavyweight championship of the world, defeating Joe Frazier. He would go on to defend his title against uh, Jose Roman and uh, Ken Norton. He actually won his first 40 professional fights before finally losing to Muhammad Ali. But despite his great professional success, George, the formerly troubled youth, appeared to be a pretty troubled adult. He was characterized by the media as aloof and antisocial and seemed to wear a constant sneer on his face. On the comeback trail, he, attempting to win back his title that he had lost to Ali, George Foreman had lost a very tough fight to Jimmy Young, a fight staged in sweltering heat. In his dressing room after the fight, Foreman became very ill. He was suffering from exhaustion and maybe heat stroke, and he believed that he had a near-death experience, and he spoke of being, having been in a hellish, frightening place of nothingness and despair, and was convinced that he was in the throes of death. Though not yet religious, he began to plead with God to help him. He explained later that he was sensing God directing him to change his life and change his ways. In the midst of this bizarre experience, he said, I don't care if this is death, I still believe there's a God. He says he felt a hand pulling him out of this death place. Foreman sensed in his body that he was experiencing stigmata which means a person suffering in his own body the wounds of Christ on the cross in his uh, hands and feet and head. Foreman felt blood uh, coming from these places, even though no one around him actually saw blood. Foreman had this sense, this experience of bleeding. You know, sometimes people uh, find it very difficult to know what to make of it when a person reports something very, very dramatic like what Foreman experienced. But after this experience, Foreman became a born-again Christian. And by seemingly every report, all the people who knew him, he was a changed man. The genuineness of uh, George's conversion is proven by his radically changed life. The sneering and antisocial fighter became loving, even cuddly, he pastored a small church in Houston. He built a youth center. He abandoned a boxing career that had brought him much fame and fortune. He devoted his life to serving Christ and people. Now, he made some bad investments, and he was cheated out of money by some unscrupulous people, which is a familiar story. And so at age 38, he had basically run out of money. He would go to the grocery store looking for dented cans on sale and whatever he could afford to eat. So after 10 years out of boxing from ages 28 to 38, he started a comeback. His wife was convinced that God had told her that George would be champion again and that his fortunes would be restored, including his car collection. Probably sounded utterly ridiculous at the time. So Foreman began at age 38 what would become a very long and winding comeback road, which incredibly culminated in winning the World Heavyweight Boxing Championship again at age 45. He would continue fighting and holding championship belts until the age of 48. Now, you may ask why I told you these two very different stories, Lee's story and George's story. Here's why. Not only because they're cool stories, though I think they are, but primarily because I think they answer a truly important question. What does Jesus do after he, uh, 
after he was resurrected and ascended back into heaven. What's Jesus been up to? Well, Jesus has been doing what he's always been doing. Jesus changes people's lives. That's what he does. Now, he had a major change of address when he ascended from earth back into heaven, but his work still goes on, and he is still changing people's lives to this very day. But I need to wind back the clock. I just shared what Jesus has been up to more recently. Let's rewind the clock to the period of time immediately after Jesus' resurrection and before he was ascended uh, back into heaven. What What was Jesus up to at that point? If you have a Bible handy, if you could turn to Luke chapter 24 and verse 35. Luke 24 and uh, verse 35. Uh, We're going to have a couple of readings. Colvin is uh, going to read, and then Terry's going to read. Luke 24, verse 35, New Living Translation. Jesus appears to the disciples. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they'd recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see as I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, Stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. The word of the Lord. This scripture, too, is from the New Living Translation. 
And the reading is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And they strained to see him rising into heaven. As, sorry, as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. After Jesus' death, his disciples were undoubtedly in a state of shock. Their worlds had come crashing down around them. The sky had fallen as they watched their beloved Savior and their friend die, an enemy of the state, tortured and executed, their hopes dashed, their dreams shattered. But Jesus, risen from the dead, appeared to them, his apostles, the eleven who were left after Judas' defection, and demonstrated to them the reality of his resurrection. He showed them his wounds where Roman spikes had pierced his hands and feet. He invited them to touch him. He ate a piece of fish, not an insignificant detail. He ate a piece of fish to prove that he was physically real, not just a ghost. And the Bible says he opened their minds as he, as he shared with them what the scripture said about his suffering and death and resurrection. And then he commissioned them to carry the message to the people who needed to hear it. Again, in Luke 24, verses 46 and 47, and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of these things. He opened their minds. Can't you just see the light bulbs turning on? 
as the Old, Old Testament scriptures, the prophecies line up perfectly with the life of Jesus. New vistas of understanding are being opened for them. And catch what happens next in verse 49. Jesus says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And then we move forward to the Acts 1 passage. Consider verse 3. During the 40 days after he, Jesus, suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And now verse 8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So let's summarize Here's basically what happens after Jesus' resurrection. He is with his disciples in dynamic, life-changing ways so that their minds are open to understand what God wants them to understand. He commissions them for their work to spread the good news, to share the, the saving message through word and deed to the people who need it. They are then empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they are unleashed for ministry. They were with Jesus in a significant way, taught by him, commissioned for their work, and clothed with power by the Holy Spirit. And here's the striking thing to me. What Jesus provided for his disciples after the resurrection, that's exactly what the church needs today. It's exactly what our congregation needs, exactly. I'm, I'm going to make this as clear as I can. We need to be with Jesus in a significant way. You and I need to be with Jesus in a powerful, dynamic, life-changing way. We desperately need that. We are not merely called to believe the doctrine of the resurrection, as essential as that is. We're called to meet this person, Jesus, risen from the dead the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be with him. The church needs people who are full of Christ, people who walk with Jesus and live close to him and follow in his footsteps. The church desperately needs people who have had their eyes opened by encountering Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3, the apostle Paul describes how Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and how he literally glowed with God's glory when he came down from the mountain. Uh, then he, Paul writes this at the end of the chapter. And we, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's what needs to be happening with God's people. Walking with the risen Christ ignites your life. Having a real and personal relationship with Jesus shapes us with ever-increasing glory to make us more like him. And that's not just some nice religious sentiment. That's what happens in real life. We need to be so enamored with Jesus that we make him our model as we love him and contemplate him and resolve to walk in his footsteps so that we begin to look like Jesus and serve like Jesus and live like Jesus and love like Jesus so that hungry people are fed and poor people are helped and lonely people are loved and mentally ill people are cared for and lost people hear the saving message. Surely somebody could say amen to that.
So the words that Jesus said about himself as he begins his ministry still ring true today. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come, Luke 4, 18 and 19. And we can fulfill Jesus' words as we love people and serve them and help them find freedom from prisons of sin and deprivation, and help eyes that are blind to the truth begin to see the truth more clearly. We can share God's message so that people know that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Here's the great thing. We don't have to do this on our own steam. It is not by our power or might or imagination or cleverness or uh, how articulate we are This is the work of Almighty God himself. God transforms people into the image of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do his ministry. I'm going to say that again. I think it's important. God transforms his people into the image of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do his ministry. God transforms his people into the image of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do his ministry. We need to be changed into Christ's likeness, and we need to be empowered by his spirit. We need power. I need to tell you a story. In the old days, a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman was working in rural Tennessee. He had in his hands a demonstration model vacuum cleaner with all the attachments. He confidently knocked on a door, A lady answered the door, and the salesman, with very great enthusiasm, told her, I've got the most exciting vacuum cleaner you'll ever see. It'll clean your house from top to bottom, and you'll only have to pay a small down payment. The lady said, that sounds really good. He said, you see that dirt on the floor, the bugs, the fur from your pet? He said, my vacuum cleaner will pick up all those things uh, just like that, and if it doesn't, I'll eat it all. She said, well, you better get out your knife and fork because we don't have any electricity around here. (laughs) We need power, and God provides power. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people in living godly lives and in carrying out his mission. When Jesus was teaching God's people about prayer, there's an extended section in Luke 11, and he ends this section by saying, your Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. We are not going to move this world by criticism of it nor conformity to it, but by combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. Vance Havner said that, and he was telling the truth. Let Jesus set your life on fire. Surrender to God fully, uh, so fully to God that his Holy Spirit is in control of your life, and watch what happens. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer is that you would set our hearts and lives on fire, that you would draw us so close to Jesus that we would be nearly indistinguishable from him and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might have power to be your hands and feet in this world. In the blessed name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you uh, have a need on your heart today, uh, if you want to come to this God who blesses and empowers, you can let us know that by coming to the front. Let's stand up and encourage each other.